Welcome to The Caleb Show. This is a show about the Bible, about renewing, and about the mind, where every week we discuss how the Word of God is sufficient for day-to-day living, no matter what is happening in your life. You will be challenged to make the Bible an essential part of your thinking and living. Join us now as we investigate the world with the ancient truth of God's Word. Good morning, everyone, or good evening. Welcome back to the show. Today, we're talking about constructionism <clears throat> or uh, building things. You know, when you when you look around any big city, there's always something being built, and it takes time and energy and effort to build that thing, whether it's a building or whether it's a bridge or whether it's a road or whether it's a power plant or something like that. It takes time to construct, to plan, to get the material together, to build it. So that's what construction is. Now there's an opposite ideological system called deconstructionism. And in deconstructionism, which was developed by a guy named Jacques Derrida, uh, but it's this approach to understanding the relationship between text and meaning. And I don't know how many of you have ever really thought about it. I myself have a degree in interpretation of texts and how to interpret texts, and I specialized in the Bible. But it's a little bit of an odd thing when you consider it, because take any any piece of uh, literature. So let's talk about Shakespeare's works, something like that. So Shakespeare sat down one day and wrote out what it was that he wanted to say. He wrote the play, Hamlet. Now, here we are, 400, 500 years later, whatever it is, and we are able to still read what he wrote and understand the, the essence of the play. Romeo, oh, sorry, Hamlet. Uh, we can understand the essence of the play. King, uh, who, or prince, or whatever. I remember watching the film a long time ago. I've never actually read the play. Um... But it's about this man, Hamlet, who's a prince, and in the end, he dies. And so, you know, like in half of Shakespeare's plays, everyone dies in the end. But we still get the story because he's written it down. So in one sense, words are eternal. And you can read them hundreds of years, thousands of years after they were written, and know what was being said in them. (laughs) But... The question is, is what did they mean? And so that's what deconstructionism is working out, is the relationship between the text and the meaning of the text. Now, the problem with deconstructionism is that, as Derrida tried to emphasize, he never wanted to use the word method, because in a method, if you have a set out uh, idea of of how you're going to go about analyzing something, then you should be able to predict the results before you get there because you already know what steps you're going to take in your analyzing. And so he didn't like that idea because he didn't want to know what he was looking for, I guess. <laughs> so Derrida is often mentioned in the world, and when you study postmodernism, his name rel- regularly comes up because of his influence on language and on meaning and on communication and that kind of thing. But Language meaning, in his view, especially concepts like truth or justice, uh, were unstable and nearly impossible to determine. And you can read Wikipedia articles, multiple Wikipedia articles on deconstructionism and its little spin-off topics and that, and it's really hard to get your head around. Because 
like I said, he didn't want to have a method because he didn't want to be able to predict the results. And it's, and he even indicated that in some ways it's an impossibility to find out what it is that something actually means. And so it's a bit uh, vague. It's a bit uncertain. There's nothing to really nail down to say that is a definitive thing right there. Um, and so that really does fit very well into postmodernism. But I would like to suggest that the Bible is not about deconstructionism. It's about constructivism. Whereas you have a plan, you have a goal, you have a purpose, you have a, a, a finish line in the future that you're aiming toward. There's always a, there's a final end to everything and God is orchestrating and understands humans and can move time in such a way that he can see the the end from the beginning and he has for every single person a goal in mind. So let's look at this idea of constructionism very briefly from 1 Corinthians 3. Paul has three examples that he uses. He says, and I, brethren, could speak to you as could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. So he uses this analogy here of babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. So when babies are babies, you don't feed them hamburgers, fried chicken things like that. You give them milk because they can't handle anything more because they're growing up to maturity. So when babies are babies, you look at them and you take them for what they are and you say, oh, it's a cute little baby. It needs, it's hungry. It needs milk. And so that baby grows up and then eventually you introduce mushy food and then eventually you introduce soft solids and then eventually the thing can eat hamburgers and fried chicken and things like that. So uh, the kid, but then the kid is still growing up into maturity. And then uh, when they hit 18, 19, 20, 21, somewhere in there, they're fully grown. And so they, they are able to then function uh, from a physical perspective in society like everybody else. At least that's the idea behind babies growing up. So we don't think of it as construction, but it is. The baby, the body of the baby is constructing itself into a full-grown person. And so the DNA within the child that was put there by God has a final plan in place and knows where it is going. It knows that a male will grow to a certain stage, a female will grow in a certain stage, and they'll develop in certain ways that will make them fully functional humans in a physical sense. So that's babies. Then Paul goes on to say, you are still carnal for that where there are envy, strife and divisions among you, you are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says I am of Paul and another I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? So Paul's main argument here is really about the inner interacting the 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 bickering between different churches in Corinth. So different ones kind of got in different camps and they were criticizing each other and they were trying to claim superiority over the other one. And so it, it's really the very seed found, it's the basis of what we now have as modern day denominationalism is really what Paul is uh, criticizing right here. And so in one sense, the fact that we had denominations uh, in our 
culture in our Western world today is actually proof that we've never really gotten over this. Uh, believers still function in this way in, in many ways. Verse 5, who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field. So here Paul shifts his emphasis, his analogy from babies to gardens or crops, fields of crops. And so again, when babies enter the world, they're little teeny tiny helpless things and they have to grow and be protected and, and be constructed to a mature state, both mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, in those four ways. Gardens, you plant a little tiny seed. You put this little tiny corn seed in the ground or sunflower seed or tomato seed or carrot seed or whatever it is, and it grows into something very different than what you planted in the ground. It grows according to the DNA that's that's put within that seed. It grows to maturity the fruit that you desire, that you want. But it takes weeding. It takes gardening. It takes... Uh, watering, it takes pruning sometimes if you're growing grapes or fruit trees or something. It takes work and effort to keep that, to keep the animals out, uh, to keep the weeds out and to keep the water in and to keep the nutrients in the soil. So you're growing a garden, but you're really constructing a plant. So you're constructing babies, you're constructing mature plants, to grow into some uh, some form of edible fruit. And then Paul says in the second half of the last verse that I read, verse 9, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. So God's building now is where he really goes to town with his analogy. Because a building is actually construction in the sense that we understand it. And so when we're constructing something, we're starting with nothing. So we have an empty piece of land, and we have to then level it with a bulldozer or a backhoe or whatever we use to do it. Or maybe it's already flat enough. I don't know. <clears throat> but then we have to dig down a foundation. And so Jesus talks about uh, foundation digging in the Middle East, where he says you, uh, the wise man built his house on rock, but a foolish man built his house on sand. And so the, the beginnings of construction is getting a foundation right. And when that foundation is right, then the building will be relatively sound. So we are no different as humans. So really this podcast uh, is all about this idea of constructing something. It's a constructionism podcast. So we call it the Bible Renewing and the Mind, but it's really about building. And when you think about the whole of the scripture... The whole of the scriptures is all about building something. God is building a, a people for his name. We get that in, uh, in Genesis where he says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation and those who bless you, I will bless and those who curse you, I will curse. He's building a kingdom. And we know that from the covenants that God made with David, where he says that you will always have a descendant on the throne. And that is then 
uh, fulfilled ultimately in Jesus and will be fulfilled even ultimately more in the second coming. So he's building a people. He's building a kingdom. He const- he gave them a law by which they can operate together and to live out the purposes that God has for them. And so he's actually working toward something bigger and better. God loves construction. So he, he constructed the world in Genesis chapter 1, and then he constructed a nation of Israel that could be his people here on the earth. And then as an extension from that, he, has, he is constructing a church. And this is what he says here. Uh, Paul writes here, According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Paul says here that he is a wise master builder, but we must have a specific way of building, and that building is on a foundation of Jesus Christ. And the foundations of Jesus are found in the Gospels, and they're found throughout the whole of the Scripture. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, and because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved as through fire. So this is not talking about losing your salvation or anything like that. It's talking about what kind of building you are constructing. So the church, well, it's then Paul says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. So believers are this walking temple. So our podcast is about constructing you into a temple where God can dwell in holiness, and it all begins in the mind. That's where you have to start, because the the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And so the kind of person you are as an individual, the things that you're interested in, the things that you say, how you interact with other people in communication, all of that flows out of your heart and your heart has to have something inputted into it to let to make sure that the output is good. So different buildings have different purposes. You can build a house, you can build a restaurant, you can build an office, You can build a factory, you can build a bank, you can build a shed, you can build any number of things. Each one has a specific purpose and each one has foundational needs that have to be uh, considered before the whole rest of the building is constructed. Is it a one-story building or is it a 10-story building? Is it uh, a 5,000 square foot building or is a 100,000 square foot building? These things determine the foundation at how strong it has to be and how it's laid out and that kind of thing. So when you're building yourself up, then you need to be aware that your foundation must be on Jesus Christ. And when it's on Jesus Christ, it is firm. Now, one of the reasons why this is so important to get the foundation right is 
and to get our understanding of the Bible right is because when we read the text of Scripture, we must understand that it is from God. It is inspired by God, and it is it has a very specific purpose for us to understand. So, if we understand who God is, if we say that the God of the Scriptures is true to the Scriptures, then that means that He is able to communicate to us and then give us an understanding of what His mind is. Because when you write things down, you're actually writing down what's in your mind. So if you read a novel, let's say, oh, I don't know, Gone with the Wind or something like that. So if Gone with the Wind is an epic Civil War story, and it's been made into a film and all that, but when you read it, you're actually reading the story as it's coming out of the mind of the author. And so we get to see a little bit of what she thinks certain characters should be and how the story should go and that kind of thing. If you're reading something that is a nonfiction work, let's say the writings of Francis Schaeffer. So he wrote Escape from Reason and The God Who Is There and different books on... um, Uh, sort of philosophical apologetics. Uh, When we read these things, we understand his mind and his understanding of of that particular subject and, and how the gospel should work in a person's belief systems around them and all that. So reading words tells us what's in a person's Mind. So if you're a professor at a university or a teacher in a high school and you're reading an essay written by some, some kid, then that essay may be clear or it may be unclear. What, and you, know, you can determine that from what the person has written. You get an understanding of their understanding of the subject based on what was written. So see how this works. So when we read the scriptures, we're actually reading uh, what is in God's mind. It is his telling of the story of Israel. It is his telling of the foundation and the building of the church. It is his telling of the past and the present and the future. It is God looking down on all of mankind and presenting us with a document, a book that speaks to all humans of all time in every place. And so it's all presented here. And so when we read it and when we consistently read it, we will begin to tap into what God thinks about things. And so this is all part of Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. So do you remember that? I think I read it uh, in a previous podcast, but let's look at it again. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? That you may approve what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so a renewing of the mind, a transformation by a renewing of your mind, will actually aim you into the direction of working out what is the will of God, what God's mind is on something. And so we get that from the scripture. So really, to determine God's will, we do that because we stand against 
the world around us and we look at the scriptures and we say, what does the scripture say about the world around us? What does the scripture say about my life? This is God's word to me. And as we grow in our understanding and knowledge of the scripture, we will grow in our understanding and knowledge of the will of God. That is how it works. And so it's very important that you have this constructionist mindset where you are working toward the goal, the same goal that God has for you. And as you're working toward that goal, you will begin to see things as God sees it. Just like when you're building a building from the ground up and you have a set of blueprints, you're always referring back to the blueprints. And then as you put the pieces together as the blueprints dictate they should go together, then the mind of the architect starts becoming clear and clear as to what he wanted that building to look like and how he wanted that building to function. So that's the analogy that fits with this idea of constructionism. It's very uh, purposeful, but there's vast uh, creativity and diversity. Buildings are different. Driving down a neighborhood of houses that all look exactly the same is boring. And I don't like neighborhoods like that because they're dull and they're they're boring. <laughs> Whereas if you go down a neighborhood that was built back in the 30s or 40s, something like that, in like old parts of cities, then you end up with this vast variety of homes and they're all a little different. They have their own characteristics. That is what we're after, something like that. So we're not out to cookie cutter everybody into the same mold. It's not like pumping out McDonald's hamburgers. It is creating something unique in God's image because God made you as a unique and individual that he's constructing you into a unique and individual person. So God bless you. Please share this if you have enjoyed it. Leave a comment. Email us. Um, Thank you for being here and we hope to see you again next time.